0: Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be
1: able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening.
0: The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy
1: boots. Boots.
0: We've come to our last Q&A session and our last podcast for 2023. And what a fun year of podcasting it's been. So much so that we're going to do it again in 2024. Are we? I think we are, aren't we? Oh, okay. Come on, Keith, come on, get your act together. I think this is a good opportunity to give a shout out to the wonderful Georgina, who has very kindly given her time to write the reference notes notes for all of our podcasts over the last few months, and she is doing a fantastic job. So if you want to quickly check the name of a plant discussed on one of our podcasts or have forgotten the answer to one of our Q&A questions, all you need to do is search through Georgina's notes which you will find below each podcast topic, either on our website, muddyboots.net.au, or wherever you find your podcasts. So, now we should get down to business. This month's questions include tomato growing, roses, garden secateurs, eucalyptus and jacaranda trees, and where would our Q&A session be without a citrus question? Mm. One of our listeners noted that we hadn't discussed the bronze orange bug. I think it's a bronze orange bug. Is that what it's called? Yeah. In our recent citrus podcast. So Keith is going to fix that today and give us some solutions for preventing and eradicating that rotten little critter. So down to business. Keith, number one is from Jane. I live in Mudgee and I'm looking for a suitable rose to grow up an old gum tree. I already have a Lorraine Lee planted and would prefer an orange or yellow rose with prolific flowers. Any advice would be very welcome. Oh,
1: gee whiz. What's wrong? A rose one. We've got a question <laughs> on rose. I would be the last person to, to talk about roses. Why? Oh, well... Leslie loves roses, and the last place we had, she loved them so much that I just kept on getting roses for her. So we had the whole garden with with roses, all these beautiful old-fashioned, beautiful perfume roses. And, of course, the only person that pruned them was me. And I'd go out there and come back, and I'd be bleeding to death just about with all the the thorns. Tricks and thorns and stuff that you'd get from it.
0: So you have no so roses at all. We have in this got garden. one rose in one. the new,
1: new garden, and it is a Graham Thomas that's that's a, a climbing rose, and that's it. And poor, I still I still I still go out and bear the scars and, get, and bear the scars from pruning the, the other stuff around it. Poor Leslie. No, well, bad luck. All right, so <laughs> here's yeah. my suggestions yes, yes. for a climbing rose for a gum tree, and this is number one, a banksia rose. Why a banksia rose? no thorns oh, well. and it flowers for a long period of time it has a, a, a little button sized, beautiful fluffy little rose um and i think that is just a stunning plant um it was my mother's particular favorite we had to have a banksia rose in our backyard and we had it growing over a, a, a trellis that you walked in underneath it was it was lovely it really beautiful. was yeah
0: sounds beautiful so
1: banksia rose would be my first choice the second is um, a variety called Maygold, M-A-I-G-O-L-D. And this is a beautiful um, rose that has a perfume, which is great. Um, another variety is one called Summertime. So these are the colours that, that, that she's, she's all looking for, Um Summertime is, is a beautiful climbing rose. It's an old fashioned rose as well. And then the, the last one that I'd be recommending is one called Golden Showers. So, Sounds number nice. one uh, is the Thornless, as I mentioned, and with masses of small flowers and a great climate. And all the rest are David Austin roses, and which all have thorns and perfume. Oh, well. So, that's what you need. You I hope, hope that, that helps.
0: <laughs> Good luck with those, Lorraine. Oh, that wasn't Lorraine, it was Jane. Jane. Jane and Lorraine because she had a Lorraine Lee planted, Elizabeth. <laughs> all right, the next one is from Charlotte. This is a tomato question. My tomato crop is growing well. I've collected all the seeds from last year which are producing a lot of truss tomatoes. I'm happy with that, but my conundrum is and has always been the abundance of leaves. I've cleaned away all the bottom ones and I'm now looking at the rest of the leaves growing further up the plant. How much should I remove to help produce better fruit? Can I also pinch out the tops to stop the plant growing too tall and to encourage tomatoes below? And if so, where should I pinch? It feels like an ongoing job as leaves keep appearing.
1: And those leaves will be mainly what are called water shoots or water leaves. Um, and and then they're, they're not necessary on a on a, on a tomato plant. Um, I've seen the way that some Italians have grown their plants, their tomato plants, and and there might be half a dozen leaves on the whole plant. The rest is just made up of stem, which is green, which can still take in in the in the chlorophyll. Um, you know. If, and, and you know through the photosynthesis process so leaves are something that you need to clean out and you need to do that sometimes to allow good air and the air circulation and good sunlight penetration because that will help those fruit develop more quickly now if you've already saved the seeds um, you might be getting lots and lots of small varieties which means possibly that you you have saved the seeds from a, a, a tomato that is classified as a hybrid and that is one that that you can't really save the seeds from because it's never going to grow true to type. Um, And they generally produce the smaller uh, dwarf-sized tomatoes on it. Now, always try to keep a, a single trunk and prune off any of the side shoots. Remove any unhealthy flowers and leaves, and you can pinch out the tops of the plants, then that's not a problem. And this is something that I'll be doing this year because um, of the height constraints that I'm going to be having. And what you need to do is have a look up that up that stem and find the last truss and then pinch out above that last truss or, or cut it out or snip it out or whatever else. All right, so you can do that. Um, and always keep the plants free of leaves from the soil upwards by 600 mil. Uh, and then, as I said, thin out all the all the fleshy growth because that's just useless stuff. Um, and and by doing that, you're going to allow lots of of um, room for air, light and air circulation, which will help help those plants, um, you know, come up pretty goodly. We've actually we've actually already already harvested before Christmas um, some tomatoes, which is sensational.
0: Beautiful, I think they're tasty too. Our next question is from Debbie, and would have been a great idea for a Christmas gift if it wasn't the twenty sixth of December. There's always next year, I guess, and birthdays. Um, Do you have any recommendation for secateurs for my 80-year-old mum? She's an avid gardener but sick of throwaway tools. She would love something that can be repaired, unlike her arthritis. No. Oh, poor thing. Yeah.
1: Okay. Hi, Debbie. I will give you three options for small, repairable, and for hands with arthritis, and I do this in order of preference. So my number one preference is the German-made Lowy, and it is their number five. This is an anvil cut that works on a fulcrum, which means that it it cuts so much easier than a normal bypass secateur, um, which which is where the blade goes past the, the cutting edge. So number one is the Lowy number five, and as I said, it is an anvil cut. Now, I'm going to ask the question of how great this little this little pair of secateurs is by asking Elizabeth, what do you think of yours?
0: They're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. I never knew that secateurs could be so good because I'd always used, you know, bought various yeah. types from Bunnings and these ones, which I was gifted very kindly from Keith, are incredible. So, Debbie, I, would, I, I wouldn't I, would go past them at all. Beautiful. Forget the others.
1: Yep. Just go for them, those ones. Yep. Okay, so the other option, and again, this is another German lowey, and but this is their number eight. Uh, and the difference between this one and the first one is that this one has a curved anvil style, um, which means it's also going to be using that fulcrum method, and that's going to be a great, a great one for your mother. But as I said, that's my second choice. My third choice would be for a pair of Felco number no. six. Um, and this is a bypass secateur, so therefore the, the blade goes past the cutting edge not on top of it, like the anvil type, and it doesn't have that fulcrum method, which means that it is not, you don't get that extra extra strength from a fulcrum as you do on a bypass. All right, so the bypass is, is, is not as good. Mm. So I'd be looking always for, for either the Lowy number number 5 or the Lowy number 8, but if yeah. you can't get either of those, and I can't see why you can't, can. Google them. They're yeah, there.
0: Get them online. Yep. I think.
1: Now all of these all of these products, all of these all these secretaries that I've rec- recommended have redi- readily available spare parts that your grandmother can pass on to her great great grandchildren. They are that good. They're going to last forever. <laughs>
0: your mother. But anyway. <laughs> your mother. <laughs> okay, you done with that one? I'm done. <laughs> now for a question from Lynn. Do you think a jacaranda tree would survive where we live on the Muraduck side of the mountain in Mount Eliza, just two doors from the quarry? I've always loved them, but fear that it may be too damp. The area I'd like to plant in doesn't get a lot of morning sun, but plenty in the afternoon. If not suitable, can you please recommend another feature tree,
1: um, Lynn, I would I would certainly go with a with a jacaranda. It, it, it's it's worth a try. You might have to do a little bit little bit of um, Soil modification—you might have to put some compost into it, break it up a little bit. Um, you, you know, maybe try a little bit of gypsum, but it's worth a try. And it's gonna—it's gonna apply to the, the same whatever you choose. You really need to—you to, um, know—do a little bit of preparation with your soil. So. The the jacaranda grows in lots of different soil types and they produce those just amazing blue flowers. Uh, I saw a picture on Instagram just recently where this whole avenue of, of, of jacarandas were dropping their petals on the road and it looked absolutely stunning. stunning. <laughs> so it's a gorgeous tree. So I've I've seen these trees growing in pure sand um, because I gift I gave them to my mother as a, as a, as a child, uh, when we lived on pure sand in, in Frankston at that stage, and those trees, when, when when I'd left home, were probably 10, 15 metres tall at that wow. stage. So they, they'll grow in just about any sort of condition. Uh, I've seen them growing along along the river in Brisbane, and I've even seen them growing in Launceston. So they're not a problem, I think, growing here in Mount Eliza. I've seen a couple in the area anyway. Um here in Mount that they're a deciduous tree until they're well-established. Um, so being deciduous, having a bit of winter wetness should not cause any problems with the, you know, with the plant roots. Okay. So go for a jacaranda. Yes.
0: Good luck, Lynn. We look forward to sending us a photo. Oh, we'll come and have a look. What is happening, says Chris, with my dwarf eucalyptus, please? galls, disfigured leaves, beetles and larvae are attacking the new growth. What can I do to treat this?
1: Uh, Chris, you've only got one problem with your trees, and that is the life cycle of the sawfly. So the little caterpillars that you, you sent me photographs of are also known as spitfires, and when they get disturbed, because they all stick together, when they get disturbed, they, set, they can spit out this yellow substance, and if it gets in your eyes, it can cause a burning sensation. Mm. The adult wasps lay their lay their eggs into the foliage and this can cause a reaction from the plant and that creates the gall and another plant that's obvious to see there's the gall wasp on citrus trees so the best method of controlling that is to remove them bag them bin them um, there is chemical chemical control spraying that you can use and it's a with a, a yates product called bathroid um, and this 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 actual product is used to treat lots of insect problems Uh, problems and is recognized for use on fruit and for vegetables so it's a pretty safe product so if if it's beyond you removing the the stinking little sods then get onto the the bathroid
0: good luck chris good luck now for a question from mandy i listened to your citrus podcast recently but no one mentioned the bronze orange bug i find it my most revolting bug I've tried to start early by spraying with organic oils while they're barely visible and then end up vacuuming them off the tree. (laughs) I have five trees and picking the bugs off is really not an option. The vacuuming works, but there must be a better way. Please tell me there is. My fruit is fab and my trees are super healthy, but I'd rather not share them with the bronze orange bug.
1: Yeah, he's a little mongrel. He's a little sap-sucking little mongrel, this this fella. Uh, There are organic solutions. Um, but there, there's another way that you can actually control this. And, and listen, I would love to. I'd love to see a, a, a video of you out there vacuuming <laughs> your citrus trees. I reckon that would be an absolute classic.
0: <laughs> I'm with the apron <laughs> on vacuuming.
1: <laughs> so that's brilliant. I love it. So anyway, look, there's some companion plants that you can put around the base of your citrus trees that aren't going to cause any any you know problems. And that would be something like marigold or tansy or even basil plants, or a mixture of those around the base of the trees. Um, And that will then attract the beneficial insects that, you know, that will then come into that area. Or you can actually buy beneficial insects that will target those specific particular bugs, uh, and you buy those from from a a company called Bugs for Bugs. Mm. Now, the last little option is to use an organic spray, uh, and Yates produced one called Nature's Way for Citrus and Ornamental Plants. And this comes in a, in a ready-to-use pack. That you can get from um, the big green warehouse or any any of the good garden stores. Um, and the other option, which is always the one that I go to, is, is of course, the Eco Neem mixed with the Eco Oil, which is spayed on a weekly basis so that the neem becomes systemic and the Eco Oil will cover those bugs and kill them anyway. That's my use my suggestions for controlling of those little stinking mongrels.
0: And what's the mix of Eco Oil and Eco Neem? The Eco-neam mix of Eco
1: Oil is 25 ml. Of eco oil into a five litre container and 12 and a half mil or 13 mils of eco neem into that same container, five litre container, pumped up and spray.
0: Thank you. Till run off.
1: Yep. Drip, 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 drip. Drip, drip, drip.
0: Our last question for today is from Kirsten, who has sent us a photo so that Keith can help her identify a bug that is infesting her roses. Lots
1: of bugs. It's a real Bully buggy bugs. time of the year, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Kirsten says, I'm in Baiwong near Canberra, and this year my roses have loads of small beetles on them with black, head, black heads and legs and brown-orangey wings. I've Googled them but can't find any description that fits. I've been here for 15 years and have never seen them before. Can you tell me what they are?
1: Okay. Well, let me just say that there are rose beetles, and they are easily, def- easily def- um worked defined. out if, if they're defined by by the damage they do to the leaves and they skeletonize the leaves so they eat little holes not necessarily where the veins are but little holes within the the leaves and they can get into the flowers and and eat the eat the petals and the stamens down the bottom but they they're generally from further north than, than where you are and and uh, they're, they're quite rare in that particular area the the actual picture that you sent me down is it shows me that this particular beetle is a small brown scarab beetle and this is the adult of the curl grub that's that eats um, roots and things within the soil now The best way to control those is, is again, to use that mixture of eco-oil and eco-neem, and you spray them on a weekly basis. But that's what you've got there. It is the small brown scarab beetle. and, And what they are sometimes looking for is just food. And that food can be nectar, for instance. From the, from the actual plants. But if they're in ma- mass- massive um, proportions, then you might want to have a look at um, the surrounding lawn area and just see whether your lawn is being affected because that's where the, the curl grubs tend to live. And if there, if it is a problem, then the eco-neem sprayed over your lawn area will eliminate those beetles from, from uh, getting through the next stage. So the little small brown scarab beetle. So if you Google that, you'll see that that's the, the fellow that you've, uh, you've described.
0: Oh, dear. That is it for our Q&A sessions for 2023. Hooray! Thank you, Keith, for all your hard work with the answers to our listeners' questions, and thank you to everyone for listening and for your wonderful contribution to these sessions. Please keep the questions coming by sending them via DM to the Muddy Boots podcast, Instagram or Facebook pages. Now to announce the winner of our final prize for 2023 from the Plant Runner. This month's prize goes to Mandy, who's been very busy vacuuming her lemon tree and no (laughs) doubt needs a rest. We'll be in contact with you shortly, Mandy. We want to send a huge thank you to the fabulous team at The Plant Runner for their amazing support with a monthly Q&A prize this year. Quite a few of our listeners have been the lucky recipients of a special package from The Plant Runner this year. It could be you. If you listen in in 2024, make sure to send in your questions to be in the running. And if you haven't already, do take a minute to have a look at their website, theplantrunner.com. Now, as this is our last podcast for the year, Keith, mm-hmm. I think we should thank our wonderful behind the scenes helpers.
1: Yep, please.
0: Without whom Muddy Boots could <clears throat> not exist. Our fabulous editor, writer and all round support, Brett Kingman.
1: Thank you, Brett. Thanks, Brett.
0: Thanks, Brett. Georgina, our wonderful reference coordinator, and Keith's son, Blake, who deals with all of the podcast platform admin. Thank you so much to you all.
1: Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the effort you put in. Yes.
0: Last of all, a big thank you to you, our listeners. Where would we be without them? We really appreciate you taking the time to tune in and hope you'll join us again next year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au and happy gardening.